Nehemiah chapter 13. We've been looking at Nehemiah the last several weeks. Um, not a, we've not been going through the book verse by verse or anything, just looking at several things. Uh, Nehemiah, a man of prayer, chapter 1. Nehemiah, a man of purpose. His purpose was to build the walls at Jerusalem. And uh, that's how, uh, that was his God-given purpose in life. And everything else took second seat to that. Um, even being the king's cupbearer, we saw that he was also a man of piety. Uh, he loved the things of God. He sought to please the Lord. Tonight we're going to look at Nehemiah, a man of purity. A man of purity. From chapter 13, it says, On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them that they could curse them. Howbeit our God turned a curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. And before this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. Remember who Tobiah was? He was an Ammonite. One that tried to hinder the working, the building of the wall. Anyway, and he prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, and the vessels, and the tithes of the corn, the new wine, and the oil, which was commanded to be given the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem, for in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. I came to Jerusalem and understood the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers, and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil unto the treasuries. And I made treasurers over the treasuries, Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, Bediah, next to them was Hanan, the son of Sacher, the son of Madaniah. For they were counted faithful, and their office was to distribute unto their brethren. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this. Wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. In those days I saw in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses and as also wine, grapes and figs and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. These There dwelt men of Tyre also therein which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do, and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark, uh, began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut, and charged they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. Some of my servants said I at the gates, 
that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and the sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. And I command the Levites that they should cleanse themselves. They should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. In those days also I saw Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and Moab. And the children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons for your, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Joadah, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business, and for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. Some would say Nehemiah was kind of radical. But he was a man of purity. Uh, the word purity means freedom from that which debases or that which contaminates. And our God is a God of purity. In Habakkuk 1.13 it says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Therefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. Uh, Hebrews 7.26, speaking of the Lord Jesus, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the angels. So God is, we understand that God is a holy God. That's his strongest attribute. That is one of his names. In in Isaiah um, 57, I think it's verse 15, it says, Whose name is holy. That's what defines him more than anything else. God is God of love, but holiness defines him. Uh, And so as we think about this, you know, God is a God that separates from holy. The word separate, you know, this is a much hated doctrine today, but the word separate means to divide or separate from oneself from or to depart. Uh, And again, this this is probably the most disregarded and the most hated and maligned doctrine of the Bible is that of separation. However, I believe there's nothing in the Bible that has a more positive effect than the doctrine of separation. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So if you want to have a father-like relationship with your heavenly father, 
you're gonna have to do some separating. If you're if you're talking about wanting an intimate relationship with your heavenly Father, you're gonna have to be a person that practices separation. You know, from the beginning of the Bible, God began separating things. Genesis one verses four and five, He separated the light from the darkness. In Genesis thirteen nine, you have Abraham separating from Lot. In chapter six, uh, Numbers eight fourteen, you have him separating the Levites. Uh, they were chosen to to serve in the temple. In uh, Numbers sixteen twenty one, Moses told the children of Israel, "You separate from Korah and his company, lest you be destroyed with them." First Kings eight fifty three in Solomon's uh, prayer of dedication at the temple, he said that that God has separated the children of Israel. From the rest of the nations. See they were his peculiar. That word peculiar doesn't mean weird. That word peculiar in the Bible means a specialty. A special group so to speak. A a specialty. Uh, So they they were his peculiar people. Matthew 25, 32. You know when he. he, uh, After the. uh, After he comes. After the second coming. He's going to separate the nations. As one separates sheep from goats depending on how they treated Israel. Acts 13.2, you have him separating Barnabas and Saul. And you can go on and on through the Bible. God is always separating something. And Jesus said he would come to bring what? Division. So, separation is an important Bible doctrine. And if we want to be people of, of purity... We must, number one, separate from the lost. Notice this verses 1 through 3 here. It says, On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. How would our God turn the curse into a blessing? Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. Now, to give you just a little background of what they're talking about here, when the children of Israel were coming out of the wilderness and going to, going, going to enter into the, the promised land, they were going to pass through Moab and Ammon, and, and what they, they sent messengers ahead and said, let us pass through there by, on the highway, so to speak, and we will buy food and water as we need, but we will not harm anything else. We would like to buy food and water. And, and instead of allowing them to do that, they prepared for war. They would not let them pass through. And, and then here, of course, uh, Moab hired Balaam to curse them. Uh, and so God says you're not to, to have any fellowship with Ammon or Bobite, no Moabite forever. Now, they're to separate, they're to separate these, and this was part of the mixed multitude was there. Um, uh, you know, again, Tobiah was a, uh, an Ammonite. And I th- almost think that... Uh, uh, the other guy, uh, Sam Ballot, was a Horonite. I'm not sure what, what, but anyway, they were to separate. You know, what does that mean to separate from? Does that mean we can't have anything to do with them? Well, it means not to have fellowship with. As we think about Christian fellowship, uh, some people give a fellowship this definition. I've heard this definition. It's two fellows in the same ship. Well, it's a little more than that. Christian fellowship is a little more than that. 
Christian fellowship, the word fellowship means partaker. As we think about Christian fellowship, you're, you're talking about uh, sharing in company with for a common purpose. Or those in agreement working together for a common goal. That's what a church is. We, we have fellowship. Uh, Ephesians 5.11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So you wouldn't have uh, common, a common purpose or, a common goal or work together for a common goal. Philippians 4.14 uses the word communicate. It says, Notwithstanding ye have dealt well done, that you did communicate. In other words, you fellowship with me in my affliction. You helped me or you worked with me in the giving out of the gospel. So they were working together with Paul for a common goal. Uh, Revelation 18.4 says this, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that receive not of her plagues. The word, again, the word there is partaker, a participant, or working together, or furthering their goal. You know, as we think about separating from the lost, you know, it doesn't mean that we have to leave the world, or we can't go out in the world, or we're we'll isolate ourselves from the world. You know, you, 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 you heard this phrase, I'm sure, we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. You know, we're not to be like the Amish. You know, and live, try to live an isolated life, or live in a commune. You know, it's just not just the Amish. You know, other people go off and live in communes and do whatever. They don't want to have anything to do with the world. That's not what the Bible's talking about when he says not to have fellowship. It means we must not allow or invite the lost into our membership to fellowship with us. Look at 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. First Corinthians 5 can give us some help in this when we think about this. First Corinthians 5, verse 9. I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators. Okay, okay, let me, let me stop right there. If you're not going to company with fornicators, you better leave the world. If, that's, if, that's, if you're going to stop right there and pull that verse out by itself, you aren't going to be able to have any company with you know, most people in the world. But notice what it says. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters. For then must you needs go out of the world. See, if you're not going to keep company with people that are all idolaters and extortioners and covetous, you're going to have to leave the world. You're going to have to leave the world. Yeah, there was a... Uh, um, I don't know how many have ever read or ever saw the book uh, 50 Years in the Church of Rome. Charles Chinnickley wrote it. He was a Catholic priest. He became so he was he was actually a a moral upright man. He was unsaved when he became he got saved later on. But anyway, he got so disgusted with the immorality and the debauchery of the Roman Catholic priests. This was in the 1800s that he thought he'd go to a monastery and get away from it. But he found out it was worse in the monastery than it was out in the public. See, if, you, if, if you're not going to have any company with people uh, that are characteristics of these things, you're going to have to leave the world. But that's not what it's, ta- no, it's, not what it's saying. 
But notice verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an adulterer or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one know not to eat. What have I to do to judge them that are also that are without? In other words, those outside the church. I'm not judging those outside the church. I have no authority outside the church. But he says, do not ye judge them that are within. So we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not disfellowshipping from those outside the church. We're not judging those out there. We're, um, but he said, you know, he, he's talking here about judging those within. So if it, when he, he says not to have fellowship with a lost, it means not to invite them into your fellowship or into your membership. What are churches advertising this time of year? Or churches advertising this time of year? You know, you'll... I, I've seen this just a couple of years ago, and 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 uh, Pastor was here. We were kind of laughing about it one day. Saw a sign advertising, "Come have communion on such and such a night." What were they doing? They were advertising to the public to come have the Lord's Lord's Supper. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, things like cantatas, and 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 they'll they'll encourage people to come. I remember when I was. When I was a young fellow about your age, Brennan, uh, or at the Midnight Church I was going to at the time, decided to have a softball team. It's amazing how many people started going to our church when we started to have a softball, softball team. No. No, we must not allow or invite the lost into membership of the church. We, we, must, we must try to reach them with the gospel. We can still do business with them. Look at first, uh, look at Second John. Second John. I think this makes this pretty. Second John, verse eight. Second John, verse eight. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He, hath a, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. So, if, if he don't agree with us in doctrine, if he don't accept the doctrine of, 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 uh, of Christ, that Christ is God, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses, we are to receive him into the fellowship of the church. So when he says to separate them from the lost, they were to be put out of the congregation. Put out of the congregation. See, lost have no part in the body of Christ, the church. So, we have to separate from the lost. There must be a separation from the lost. Uh, There must be also, secondly, separation or separate from compromising brother. Look at verse 4 of of Nehemiah 13. Before this, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. 
He had prepared for him a great chamber, where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, and the vessels, and the tithes of the corn, the new wine, and the oil, which was commanded to be given the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem, for in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon came unto king, and after certain days obtained I leave of them. Notice verse 28. And one of the sons of Joadah, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Here we have him separating from compromising brother. Here's Eliashib, who had made this chamber. By the way, Tobiah, commentators believe that Tobiah had married a priest's daughter. In chapter 6, verse 18, uh, it makes reference to something, who he was married to, and it says, For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, that is Tobiah, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshullam, the son of Berechiah. So uh, it's believed that he, was the, he was the, uh, had married a priest's daughter, Tobiah had. And here Eliashib, the priest, makes him or gives him living quarters. the temple in the places where they were that were set aside to store the things that were to be given to the Levites for their service in the house of God in fact if you read on this chapter the Levites had fled to their fields had gone to their fields because the tithes and corn stuff weren't being brought in why because Tobiah was living in that place where they stored it you see there is a time we have to separate from compromising brethren Verse 28 says, I chased him. Um, one of the sons of Eliashib, the high priest, he chased him from him. Look at, look at a couple of New Testament passages of Scripture. Romans, Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. Romans 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. That word mark is scopio. Sound familiar? Scope. Put your crosshairs on and you mark them. Mark them which cause a vision of offenses contrary to the doctrine that you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So we're to mark them and he says avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11. We already read this one, but 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. Um, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we command you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. We hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. If any man obey not our, epistle, our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. 
yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So this fellowship with him, have no company with him. Uh, and then in First Timothy chapter six, in verses one through five, First Timothy six, one through five, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. The name of our God, his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and of the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, even surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Second um, Timothy Chapter 3, verse 5, talking about those, again, and we went through this here not too long about, these are religious people. Um, and it says in verse 5, 2 Timothy 3, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And then Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Titus 3, 10 and 11. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. Now, and so all, all these places we're talking about separating from brethren, disobedient brethren, for one some one reason or another. There's many reasons given in the Bible, um, but this separation has to do with those within the church has to do with those within the church. Uh, if you, if you, you know, and again, when I say church, you know, there only is one church. That's a local church. So it has to do with those within the church. Um, we govern what's in our church. That's all we govern. We don't govern what's in other churches. None of our business. You know, when Paul wrote to Corinth, he wrote to the church of God which is at Corinth. And in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 27, he says, Ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And so, so when he's writing these things about separating from these kind of people, he's talking about those kinds that were in the church. So separation has to do within the church body. Again, we don't receive the lost in as members, and we must discipline those that are not obedient to the truth or won't receive the truth. Or cause divisions, or are heretics. So it has to do within the church body. And here, uh, and even in our example here, you know, Nehemiah is dealing with Jewish brethren that were disobedient. And of course, our you know, as a church, if a person is disciplined from another church of like faith and practice, we honor that church's position. You know, if we, we have people come from other churches, first thing I always do is I call their pastor. Pastor Webb did that. Pastor Green did that. I don't know if Pastor Green ever had a pastor call him. But pastor Webb's never had a pastor call him. And I've never had one call me. I've always done that. I've seen what happens when people go from church to church 
they just take their problems with them. You know, growing up in Pennsylvania, there was a lot of churches in the area of, of very similar or light faith. And, you know, my wife and I have known people who have gone to at least three or four different churches. They usually don't stay at any of them. No, there is a time. And see, the purpose, again, the purpose of discipline or separating from, from uh, compromising brethren is that they would get right. Look at, look at, look at 2 Thessalonians. It brings this out. And again, 1 Corinthians brings that out as well. And you read in 2 Corinthians where that man did get right. But uh, in, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says, verse 14, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. You know, instead of being ashamed today, what do most people do? Go to someplace else. Well, they're just taking it. No questions asked. You know, there's... There are times and reasons to leave churches. I agree with that. But you better be careful when you do it. Or why you do it. Uh, but he says in verse 15, Yet count him not an enemy, but admonish him. That's to instruct him or warn him uh, as a brother. So again, the purpose of discipline or separating from compromising brethren is that they would be ashamed and get right with the Lord. So, we see here, people of purity must be separate from the lost. We must separate from compromising brother. We must separate from worldly philosophy. Notice, notice, if you will, verses 15 through 22 of Nehemiah 13. Verses uh, 15 to 22. In those days, Saul and Judah, some trading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses and also, as also wine, grapes, figs, and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, and I testified against them in the day when they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do, and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus? Did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. It came to pass that, where, that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. Some of my servants set up the gates that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kinds of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge you by the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. And I command the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. So we must separate from the world for philosophy. You know, why were the Jews violating the Sabbath day? For what purpose? Was it convenience? Or was it more than that? What were they doing on the Sabbath day? Business and commerce. They were trying to make more money. That was the purpose of it. You know, what's the, what's the philosophy of the world? Get what you can. You know, I remember the McDonald's had this saying, you deserve a break today at McDonald's. You know, um, the army has one. Uh, what's the army's 
little slogan. Maybe it's changed since I was a kid, but something about you doing for yourself. You know, you have to make, you know, it's all about you. It's all about you. But it was, it was all about making money. Uh, and, and, you know, again, they're not, they're not in the best of finances, although when you see them bringing their tithes and offerings in a few chapters back, I mean, it seemed like they had plenty. But although some of them, there, there, there seemed to be uh, quite a difference. Some were poor and some were wealthy. But uh, some of them were, you know, not well-to-do at this point in time. But this was all about commerce, business, making money. But God had severely commanded them concerning the Sabbath. In fact, they were in captivity, he says, because of violating the Sabbath. Exodus 31.13 says, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Leviticus 19.30 Ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Leviticus 26.43 The land also shall be left of them and shall enjoy her Sabbath while she lieth desolate without them. And they shall accept the punishment of their iniquity because even because they despise my judgment and because their soul abhorred my statutes. And as you think about that, Second Chronicles 36, 20, and 21 says this, And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath, to fulfill threescore and ten years. Now, what is so significant about the Sabbath? Well, it's this. Sabbath keeping displayed their trust and dependence upon God. See, it gave evidence to the fact that they trusted God for everything. They trusted God for their wealth and not themselves. By being willing to give up a day of commerce, of business, they were demonstrating that their trust was in God and not in themselves. That's what's significant about it. And God gave it to them. It was, and, and he gave them, you know, to us it sounds like, what's the big deal about the Sabbath? But I believe that the violating of the Sabbath led to other violations of God's commands. Just like, just like, for example, Sodom and Gomorrah's, if you read Ezekiel 16.49 says, you, you know what their sin is? Idleness and fullness of bread. And then, it, then it goes on and says about the things they start they they committed. But idleness and fullness of bread was the two great things that brought about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, that led to 
sodomy. They're wicked lifestyles. And see, they're not keeping the Sabbath was the first step in rejecting their trust, their dependence upon God. So let me ask you, does your life or lifestyle display your trust in God or trust in self? Do you have this attitude? I have to make it happen. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I think the point that the Lord's trying to impress upon us is there, we need to have a certain amount of time or realize that, that we will set aside for the Lord and we will cease from our labors and focus our attention upon him to show our trust and dependence upon him so that we don't become dependent upon ourselves. Matthew six nineteen. Lay not for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If thy, therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Now, let's, th- let's, let's think about the Sabbath here for a minute. The rejection of the Sabbath keeping took their eyes off the Lord. Their focus began to be on their own work and not on their trust in the Lord. But if I be evil, verse 23, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. It's not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment. And, and it goes on. Then verse 33 it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now he's not saying in this passage that we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't work and plan and, 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 you know, and so on and so forth. But our focus needs to be on the Lord. You know, does God govern your business endeavors and pursuits in life, or does your business endeavors or pursuits govern your life? What takes priority? You know, in America, typical world philosophy is career, leisure, or relationships takes priority. We're in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It came to pass, as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Well, that sounds great. He's just going to go anywhere Jesus goes, right? Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. He said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, also said, 
Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my house, home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now what's he saying here? He's saying is, these all had reluctance to give up their worldly ties. He said, if you're going to follow me, you need to be willing to give up your worldly ties. What do you say to the rich young ruler? Sell all the has, and come follow me, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Again, it's where is our focus? What is our priority? Where's our priority? I know we're not Sabbath keepers. But we ought to have some time that is set aside that's important for God. And I know that the Lord's Day is not the Sabbath. But I think it's important that we set a time that aside that time for the Lord. Robert Ingersoll, or Ingersoll, that infidel, said, We will not destroy the Christians until we destroy what they call the Lord's Day. So, what is our? We have to separate from worldly philosophy. They worked seven days a week. Why? They gave up their time for the Lord. Why? To try and further themselves. That was became their focus. And then, lastly, we must be separate in whom we marry. Um, verse 23 to 28. In those days also I saw Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them, plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, do not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause a sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Judah, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to stand by the Hornite, Therefore, I chased him from me. So just remember, if you marry an unsaved person, I'm going to pull his hair out. No. Um, yeah, this command to be separate in marriage was given to them very strictly, again, in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And the principle is the same. It's timeless, really, this principle. Uh, in chapter Deuteronomy 7, um, Verse 2 to 6 says, And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, that's all the, the ites of the land, thou shalt smite them, utterly destroy them, thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give it unto the son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them, Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. So they were to be holy. They were to be set apart. They were to be a separate people 
They were not to intermarry with those around them. Unless, what are some exceptions to that? Was did, did any of them ever marry with God's blessing to some of other nations? Rahab? Ruth? But what, what, what was the condition there? They made Israel's God their God. You see, they become Israelites. Just like if people today would, you know, get saved and, and join the church. So, so that was the only exception. It wasn't really an exception. Uh, of course, this is taught in the New Testament, First Corinthians nine thirty-nine. You know, talking about a widow can only marry in the Lord. Second Corinthians six fourteen, uh, not to be unequally yoked together. And this, of course, me. This is refers more than marriage. I believe it could be binding partnerships or memberships in ungodly or secret. Organizations or institutions. Um, and again, this, the purpose of this restriction was of a preservation of the truth. Deuteronomy 7.4 again says this, For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. And that's, that, and, and of course, Nehemiah uh, reminds them that's what happened to Solomon. Though Solomon was a great king and beloved of the Lord, yet outlandish women turned his heart away. It destroys the purpose, the God-given purpose of marriage. And that purpose is given for us in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15. And did he not make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit? And wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. So we're to be separate in whom we marry. Not to be unequally yoked together. You know, you think about all this. Nehemiah did. This didn't make him a particularly popular man. It's interesting. Four times, four times in this chapter, he makes he asks God to remember him for good. You know, understand who you know. He's 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 he's. Uh, uh, he has to to chastise the high priest. He, he 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 drove one of the sons of the high priest, chased him from him. It didn't make him popular, and it made is not popular, but it'd be worth it. David Sorensen said this in his commentary, and I quote: "To so serve the Lord that He remembers us for good." will be a blessing indeed. To hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, will be worth it all. You see, Nehemiah was a man of purity. He practiced separation. 
he commanded separation. Of course, he was the governor. Um, God wants us to be holy people. He wants us to be a separate people. We are a peculiar people unto him. We are a purchased possession. And God desires that we please him and live pure and holy lives. That means we must separate from the lost. We have to separate sometimes from compromising brother. Sometimes we have to separate from the worldly philosophies. And we have to be separate in whom we marry. Marry only in the Lord. Might God help us to be obedient to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the instruction it gives us. Father, I pray you should help us to heed its instructions. Knowing that these things are for our good. That we might bring honor and glory to thee. So, Father, just help us. Strengthen us. Help us to be faithful until our Lord comes. We pray in Jesus' name.